Amen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen, heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God. Well, merry third day of Christmas. I say the third day of Christmas because for much of the church around the world, Christmas is celebrated for 12 days. That's why we say the 12 days of Christmas. So Christmas Day is day one. And we go for 12 days through January 5th. Night of January 5th being the 12th night, if you know Shakespeare. And then Epiphany being January 6th, the day on which we celebrate the arrival of the wise men to come and visit um, Jesus, which also is the day in which Jesus reveals himself to the Gentiles. So what that's telling us is that one day is not enough to celebrate the magnificence of the reality that Jesus became a man and dwelt among us. Amen. Now, our text today is a famous text, Luke 2, 1 through 20. I mean, Linus says it. Uh, we hear it every year about this time. And that's Important. So the question we ask is, is why? Why do we spend so much time talking about this text? If you've been in church all your life, you may have said, I've heard every sermon preached that could possibly be preached on this text. But the reality is that, that we can't. Because in this text, we find the best news in the world. The best news in the whole world. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Everyone say good news. Everyone say great joy. Everyone say all people. 
Listen, this is good news of great joy for all people of all ages, all nations. That's why you read this text every year. Now, that's important for us to remember that this is the best news in the world because the best news in the world today is not the possibility of a COVID-19 vaccine. We could all get vaccinated or not. And it might keep us safe from COVID, maybe, but it, it definitely wouldn't solve our deepest problem. The best news in the world today is not the appointment of a conservative judge in the Supreme Court. Right? A conservative judge interpreting the U.S. Constitution would not serve our deepest problems, neither here nor anywhere else in the world. The best news in the world today is not the election of a Democratic candidate to the President of the United States. And it wouldn't have been the best news in the world if it had been the election of a Republican candidate to the President of the United States. Because no president can take care of our deepest problem. The best news in the world today is not that school is out for another week. Or for some of us that I missed a few days of work last week and still got paid for it. The best news in the world is that a savior was born to bring peace to the whole world. And that savior's name is Jesus. And the sign of that news is that he was swaddled and laid in a feeding trough. Did you catch that what the angel said? This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feeding trough. That is the sign of the best news in the world. You know what that tells me? This is news for all people. Everyone say all people. Rich, poor, white, black, brown, Asian, European, Native American. This is for all people. It's the best news in the entire world. Jesus, the perfect son of God, lived a life of perfect obedience to God, died the death that you and I deserve to die, and conquered death by rising from the grave. Jesus is alive right now. Think about that. Jesus, the one who knows every thought, every intention, the one who gave his life for you, the one who is interceding right now at the right hand of the Father for you, is alive right now. Right now. This is the best news in the world today. This is why all of heaven breaks into song on the night of his birth. This is why shepherds leave their flock and run to Bethlehem. This is why a mother, a new mother, who just gave birth, can sit back and ponder. I don't know how many of y'all spend time pondering mothers after giving birth. But this is a miraculous Wonderful birth. Everyone say it's all about Jesus. Now listen, that's, I can sit down right now. I'm not going to, but I could sit down right now. Because that's enough. That'll preach. But there are two things in this text that I think are really important for us today. There's a lot of things in this text we could talk about. But there's two that we want to talk about. And the first one is that God's plan cannot be disrupted. God's plan can't be disrupted. 
Now listen, our plans can be disrupted. If 2020 told us anything, it told us that our plans can be disrupted. And in this text, we use some disrupted plans. Mary and Joseph had a lot of plans, and they had a lot of plans disrupted. Mary and Joseph did not plan for Mary to have a baby before they got married. Mary and Joseph did not plan for Caesar to disrupt their lives and send them on a 70-mile hike uphill, pregnant, to take a census. Mary and Joseph did not plan to have no place to stay when they arrived. Mary and Joseph did not plan to lay their baby in a feeding trough. But guess what? God had other plans. Our plans are disrupted. Last week, John Mark didn't plan to preach. But Jared was quarantined, so John Mark had to preach. Wednesday night, Jared didn't plan to preach. But John Mark was quarantined, so Jared preached. Listen, if you were built up by either that message last Sunday or the message Wednesday night, I want you to say, God had other plans. I know I was built up. God had other plans, friends. Look at the shepherds in our story. Their plans were disrupted too. Imagine being out in a field, watching over your flock, chilling, right? Worst thing you can imagine, maybe a wolf's going to come, but I got my staff. I'm ready, right? And then all of a sudden, the entire field bursts into light, and you are blinded by the brilliance as a messenger of God goes from heaven to earth to sing you a song. Their plans are disrupted. God had other plans. Now, here's the thing. Even though our plans can be disrupted, God's plan cannot be disrupted. Mary and Joseph may not have planned to be in Bethlehem on that first Christmas, but God did. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Micah is writing 700 years before this event. 700 years before this event. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, is probably one of the most famous uh, verses in the Old Testament because it's fulfilled here in Luke 2. God speaks to his servant Micah, and in verse 2 he says this, He says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. See, what Micah prophesied 700 years before this event we read about in the text today is that from eternity, from ancient days, God had planned that the Messiah, the anointed king who would shepherd God's people and be Israel's peace, that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Not because Bethlehem was some big metropolis, but actually, partly because it was so small, the only way you can get glory is because God invaded that space. Most people couldn't point out Bethlehem on a, on a map, and now it's one of the most famous places in the world. We sing about it every year. Now, is that because Caesar Augustus planned to force a census that would put Mary and Joseph in the exact location to fulfill God's promise for the promised king to be born? No. No, he didn't. He had no idea. He's trying to make his government more efficient. <laughs> That's about it. But it's because God's plan cannot be disrupted. Now, this is the testimony of the whole Bible. Job 42, verse 2 says, 
I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Isaiah 14.27 says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? See, God's plan cannot be disrupted. And that is really good news for us. It's the good news for everyone who's ever been created because God created people to know him and to enjoy a relationship with him. But sin caused that relationship to be broken. All of us have rebelled against God and deserve to be cut off from him forever. But even from the beginning of history, God planned to rescue humanity. He planned to rescue us through a promised Messiah who would establish peace between us and God forever. He would pay the debt we owed to God for our sin, and through him we would receive forgiveness and peace with God. In our text, we find God disrupting our plans to continue rebelling against God. And we find God accomplishing his plan to rescue us from our slavery to sin. Jesus is the answer to the world's deepest problem. Jesus is the only true source of peace. Jesus is the only one who can restore our most essential relationship, the relationship we were created to have with God. This is a a plan that is good news for all of us in human history, but it's really good news in 2020. Because we've had a lot of plans disrupted. A lot of plans disrupted. But on this last Sunday of 2020, I want you to know that our plans will probably be disrupted again in 2021. And probably in 2022. And probably in 2023. It may not be a global pandemic, but it might be. And it might be something else. But you know whose plans can never be disrupted? God's plans can never be disrupted. Am I saying that we need to look at senseless chaos and evil and say, this must be good? No. What I am saying is that God's grace is at work even in the midst of senseless chaos and evil. In the midst of the world's deepest wickedness, God's grace is at work. In the midst of family struggles, God's grace is at work. In the midst of difficult relationships, God's grace is at work. In the midst of lost jobs, God's grace is at work. In the midst of loss of life, God's grace is still at work. Which is why we can lament the brokenness that we see in front of us. But we can rest in his grace. And keep our eyes open for what he's doing. This is why the angels can sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God deserves all the all the glory. In other words, God deserves all of the recognition for the good news we're reading about today. None of us on our own can please God, can be pleasing to him. None of us can. We can't be good enough. We can't be righteous enough. We can't fix our own sin problem. But God deserves all the glory because in his good plan, he purposed that we should be pleasing to him. Catch this, friends. In God's good purpose, he planned for us to be pleasing to him, those who are in Christ. When we admit our rebellion against God, 
when we surrender our plans to Jesus, when we let Jesus be the boss, when we give up trying to go our own way and let him have his way, God promises to forgive our sin and give us the righteousness of Jesus, which means everything Jesus did and got is imputed on our behalf, which means that when God looks at you, he sees righteousness. I feel like that's like earth shaking, y'all. I feel like that's earth shaking. Because sometimes I live in shame. And I live in the anxiety brought about by me not being able to meet my own standard. So we know what I'm talking about. But if I remember the good news, the best news in the world, that Jesus imputed his righteousness for me, That means there is no more wrath left for me. There is, in the eternal perspective, no more bad news that God doesn't redeem for me. There is no more second of my life that won't be shown to have some purpose in eternity. And that's a gift. If you've trusted in Jesus, you have peace with God and you walk in his pleasure. His face is toward you. It shines on you. Some of you may be thinking, but I got so many doubts. How could God be pleased with me? Listen, we can't work our way into God's pleasure and we can't think our way into God's pleasure. I'm so glad that on the mountain when Jesus ascended, there were some who believed, but there were some who doubted. He said to all of them, go make disciples. Go live the hope. Go live the reality that I'm alive. COVID-19 can't disrupt God's plan. Politics can't disrupt God's plan. It may disrupt ours, but the Savior in the manger reminds us that God's grace is at work in the disruption all the time. So the first thing we want to remember is that God's plan cannot be disrupted. The second thing we want to learn from this text today is that our worship is our witness. Everyone say our worship is our witness. I want you to notice the connection between verses 13 and 14 and verse 20. Between verses 13 and 14 and verse 20. I want to read them side by side. 13 and 14 say this. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What we see in these verses is heaven literally breaks into earth. Not just like figuratively. Heaven like literally breaks into earth. As this multitude of angels shows up in a shepherd's field and starts singing. And these heavenly creatures reveal to us what heaven thinks about this birth in Bethlehem. Now I want to just pause right here and say this. Here's a good word for us today. That heaven, God, is not limited by Mary and Joseph's lack of resources. Not limited. Not limited at all. 
In verse 7, we find Jesus, Jesus in a manger, in a feeding trough. But the angel is neither limited by that, nor, nor is he ashamed of that. Some of us may not think we are limited by lack of resources, but some of us are ashamed of lack of resources. And the angels are neither one. See, God can do more with little than we can do with much. And a, a multitude of angels begins to sing in response to the reality that there's a baby who's lying in a feeding trough who's the savior of the world. God is not ashamed of lack of resources. So regardless of where you come from, whether it's Nazareth or Bethlehem, we don't need to be ashamed. Don't despise small beginnings. Now, what heaven thinks about this birth in Bethlehem is worthy of a heavenly choir giving glory to God and declaring worldwide peace between fallen humanity and a holy God. Heaven worships, heaven praises, heaven gives glory to God of his birth in Bethlehem. Now, look at the shepherds in verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. What were the angels doing? They were praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest. You hear that? Praise God, praising God, glorifying God, glory to God. Hear that? In other words, the shepherds participate in the heavenly song. Their participation in the heavenly song is their witness to the world that Christ has come. The shepherd's participation in the heavenly song is their witness to the world that Christ has come. When we live a life of worship and gratitude for the grace that God has given us in Christ, we participate in the heavenly song, which is our witness to the world that Christ has come. When our speech reflects the reality that Jesus is on the throne and is making all things new, which means you put aside gossip and slander and all that stuff. We participate in the heavenly song, which is our witness to the world that Christ has come. When we act at work and at home like Jesus loves us more than anyone else can hate us, we participate in the heavenly song, which is our witness to the world that Christ has come. When we make financial decisions knowing that God is a loving Father who has already promised to meet all my needs, we participate in the heavenly song, which is our witness to the world that Christ has come. You hear this? We live a life of worship that is our witness. Because we're participating in a heavenly song that is going on and that will go on for all of eternity. Theologian Kevin Van Hooser makes this point in his book, Faith Speaking Understanding. And I want to read a quote to you and I want to unpack it a little bit. He says this. He says, when disciples display faith and hope by the way they endure and even rejoice in their sufferings. In other words, when people who know Jesus endure suffering. And rejoice even when life is difficult. They express that faith and hope. They become, and he goes on to, to quote 
uh, Douglas Herring by saying they become an intrusion of the messianic era into the time of the world. Disciples of Jesus become an intrusion of the messianic era into the time of the world. He says their worship is their witness and vice versa. Their witness is their worship. In other words, heaven breaks into earth when our words and our lives bear witness that the Savior in the manger is the Savior who died for you and me on the cross and rose and reigns victorious over sin and death now. What does that mean for us? The world can find a lot of things to complain about these days. We can complain about health care and health. We can complain about politics and political alliances. We can complain about education and all those people who are trying to do it. Teachers can complain about parents and parents about teachers. Teachers about administrators and administrators about teachers. Bosses about employees, employees about bosses. But as disciples of Jesus, our words should be affected by the reality that Jesus is in control, that he reigns. That's a way to display our worship, and that worship will be a sign to the world that there's something different about these people. They must not be living in the same reality that we're living in. Which we know, we're just living in reality. The reality that heaven has broken into earth. Heaven has come down. Jesus is alive. The best news in the world is that we do not have to live as slaves to anything. But the righteousness of God in Christ, which is a joy for us if we're yoked to Jesus. So when you choose in the middle of that conversation to say, Holy Spirit, I submit to you, and do whatever he says, heaven breaks into earth. It'll shake the world. When you choose to respond to hate with love, heaven breaks into earth. It'll shake the world. When our words and our lives bear witness to Jesus the Savior, that is our witness. Lives of worship are lives of witness. So what does Luke 2 have to teach us today? I think it's fitting to end our year here. Because though our plans may be disrupted, God's plan cannot be disrupted. And his grace is always at work, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And not only that, But as we acknowledge that reality and participate in the heavenly worship that God reigns now and deserves all the glory and brings peace to men and is pleased, not because of our works, but because of grace, pleased with us. 
to witness to the world that Jesus is in control. I invite you to respond to the reality of the Savior in the manger by taking the body and the blood of Jesus today and remembering that our sufficiency is alive and well and working and changing and recreating and he's coming again very soon. Let's have joy and let's work with faith and hope. Our Father, we thank you so much for the grace of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that your plan for my salvation, my redemption, could not be disrupted. I thank you for not giving up on me, not giving up on us. Thank you, Lord, for not throwing away this world, but for letting your grace be manifest in good ways all the time. I pray you'd make us, God, into a people who consistently and continually remind each other to keep worshiping, to keep praising, to keep thanking, to keep living out the faith that we proclaim, even as you recreate us into those kind of people who love you and are committed to you. God, we thank you that you reveal yourself to doubters and to those who are unfaithful, and you endure your faithful to the end. So keep us, we pray now, in Jesus' name.